Okay, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, seven o'clock, so we'll make a start. Welcome to uh, this uh, planning policy working group meeting. Um, <coughs> item one, apologies for absence and declarations of interest. I have had an apology from Councillor Oliver. Uh, declarations of interest? No. In which case we'll move on to minutes of the previous meeting. Are there a true record of the meeting? Yep, that's great. Okay. Uh, moving on to matters arising, uh, taking <coughs> the first page, which covers PP 34 to 37. Uh, Chairman, uh, on 37, but on the second page, um, the action point was the next member workshop to explain the criteria for the evaluation of sites to be arranged. Has that workshop been so arranged? Um, I think there is a date in the diary, yes, but off the top of my head I'm not sure what the date is. Um, I can have a quick look or we can try and circulate something after the meeting. Okay, well we'll confirm the date uh, after the meeting so that uh, everybody has that. Okay, moving on to PP 38 to 40. 41 to 40, sorry, Councillor Lodge. Thank you. Uh, on 40, last, last, uh, the last meeting um, we, we heard about the um, estimated numbers coming out of uh, the requirements from Stansted Airport. And I think in 40 uh, we talk about effectively revisiting the, uh, the Schmeier document to see whether those numbers uh, actually fitted because there was some concern about the distribution of the numbers between uh, I think the four councils. So my question was what, what is the pro progress on that and when could we expect to see that because that could have a significant number to, to the uh, significant effect on the housing numbers estimated. Um, Mr. Taylor. Thank you Chairman. We have, we've gone back to our consultants ORS who um, are gearing up, we need to set a date for a workshop for the working group um, in January. Um, to the idea behind that would be that ORS would then be able to explain the methodology and assumptions to the working group and the working group would be able to ask questions in relation to that. Obviously, I don't believe that uh, we were going to revisit the Schmar document because, of course, it's not our Schmar document, so we can't do that um, mm. because it's a collective document. Um, so it is what it is, and it's published. Um, the only other comment I would say is that actually we've had a very good appeal decision after public inquiry today um, at the Gladman in Clavering, which, well, if you've seen it and you've read it, you will see that the inspector is um, immensely supportive of the Schmar. Um, and has taken that um, uh, in very high esteem above the consultants' views from the annual literal partnership put forward um, and has accepted pretty much everything that's been said in the Schmar and in relation to our five land supply. So it's a very good appeal for the council, uh, both the robustness of the Schmar and the five year land supply approach and methodology we've taken forward. But notwithstanding that, um, we are working to get RS to come down. They're already coming down for another Gladman appeal in Great Canfield, so we're trying to get the dates to coincide so that if they're here for two or three days for that, they can do a workshop for um, the working group after that, but dates to be arranged. 
So just come back a little, a little bit on that. First of all, congratulations on that. That was that was good, and I did read it all. I just had enough time between planning and tonight to read it all. So very well done on that. And that's excellent. However, it, di it did appear pretty obvious that those Stansted Airport numbers were wrong, and that could significantly bring down the OAN. So how do we get that into the process? Um, um, I don't think I've ever said the Stansted numbers are wrong. I've said they've been based on the most up-to-date and robust evidence we have, which is the, you know, what you need to do. Um, that will be part of the, the, the workshop and the, um, in relation to ORS to allow members to understand the methodology and assumptions that go into that. Um, they are assumptions and methodologies that are based on the consultant's expertise, both here and, and across the country but they are assumptions and they are best practice. There is no clear you know, guidance um, about you know, the things to take into account. So you learn through the appeals, through public inquiries, through um, local plan examinations about the best way to do things. Um, ORS have just been defending their methodology at the Cheshire East um, examination, or I believe our other consultant yeah. been appearing at. Um, and the inspector has generally supported the methodology that they have, they have put forward. So it, it's not just a case, oh, well, we're, we're something different and our methodologies are specific are, are for ourselves. It's something that they are using across the country, which is obviously why we go to consultants with a national reputation to ensure that we have that breadth of knowledge. But that's, the, that's what we need to focus on to be able to them to be explained to you the assumptions that they've taken into account so that you can understand um, the approach they've taken. So that would come. Well, yeah. Okay, thank you. Councillor Dean. I'd just like to put the record straight because the minutes actually don't uh, reflect totally the discussion last time. We, we asked whether we could have a presentation from ORS, the consultants who produced the Schmar, in order, first of all, to have greater understanding of the methodology, whether or not out of that we discover something that causes us to question or challenge the numbers, well, who knows? Uh, I'm not jumping the gun on that, but equally well, I'm not ruling anything out. Uh, the purpose of their coming has a purpose behind it, not just simply our education. And I think we should you know, put that on record, that uh, we keep an open mind and we will also look at the um, representations that were made last time and see whether there's any connection between the two. And, and I'm sure we'll all reach our own conclusions at the time and the working group as a whole might reach the same conclusions as was reached in September, October. I know it was away at the time. Or it may not, I don't know. Well, we certainly, I absolutely agree with your comments. We certainly agreed that we would have a presentation by uh, those that prepared, uh, uh, worked on the Schmar, and that is in hand. So that will happen in the very early part of next year. Okay, moving on. Um, PP 42, 43, 44. Councillor Lodge. Thank you. On, on 42, we, uh, we got the recirculated numbers. Thank you to Mr. Taylor for those. Uh, I'm just concerned here that as to whether we have actually consulted properly on the right numbers because the, head, the headline figure of extra house we were looking for was 3,000 in the consultation uh, and obviously effectively that turned out to be 4,600, 5,000 in that area. I wonder whether an inspector might have any question about the validity of our consultation looking at that discrepancy. Um, 
I think what we, I mean, Mr. Fox can comment as well if you want to, but I mean, I think we, we, the consultation was a range of scenarios, as in it had a lower figure and a higher figure. So it's not a specific fixed figure, and it's not a consult, it wasn't a consultation on the numbers, it was a consultation on various distribution options, you know, a lower range of growth and a higher range of growth. The numbers we're talking about are within that range. It's not a fixed figure. It's not a, we have to deliver 580 or, um, whatever, or 750. You know, it was the, these are potential ranges and options um, that we need to be considering. So if you like anything in between there is, is, is within those bounds of, um, of, the, of the issues and options consultation that we've carried out. Maybe confirmation from Mr Fox that uh, we wouldn't be in any trouble with the inspector on the way that we've presented it. Uh, no, through you, Chairman. No, I don't think so. I mean, what we will do, though, is, is given the concern over the accuracy of the figures at the last meeting, we'll go back and check those and make sure that everything in the, in the consultation paper was accurate. We, we can certainly do that, Chairman. Thank you. Okay. Um, and item 45 was other business, unless there's no question about that. Thank you for those matters arising. Um, Councillor Lodge. I wonder, could I, could I, make, could I make some uh, gen general matters arising, if you like? And um, I, ha I have a, a major concern, and maybe it's appropriate that Mr Fox is here now, as to whether, whether we're taking the right strategic approach to, 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 to the whole process. Um, thinking about should we not, if we're trying to get the strategy right, should we not get our transport uh, survey correct first? Should we not look at the, at the uh, employment strategy uh, and then fix a housing strategy? What we, we seem to be doing, we're going into a lot of detail and so a, a number of people have, have, have passed on these concerns to me. Um, how and when do we make what might be the biggest decision, which is against the distributed strategy and a single settlement? So I wonder if we just have a little bit of discourse on that before we get any further into the process. If you, if you feel that's appropriate, Mr. Chairman. Okay, Mr. Do. Fox. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and be try and be brief as I can, Chairman, because that that in itself is a very very complicated question to answer. Um, it is not at all straightforward. Being absolutely frank with you and a lot of these things are iterative and circular and they feed into one another. Um, one of my jobs in the new year is to try and make as much sense of that as we can in terms of all the evidence base and the studies that there's a report later on the, in, on the agenda, how they all fit and intertwine and lock together and how out of that we can produce, if you like, the overall direction of travel, development strategy, or whatever you want to call it. And I think I would refer back, Chairman, to Martin Payne's report at the last meeting, which was very comprehensive. And that set out the grounds, I think, that we have to cover to get to that place. But I think there's a further conversation around how these various studies feed into one another. Because um, the other side of this, of course, Chairman, is that one has to jump off the roundabout at some stage, if I can use that expression. Um, so, we, we, yes, we have, to, we have to make that leap, but it's making sure we make that leap at the right time in an informed way based on the evidence. I think that's probably what I'll say for the time being, Chairman, on that. But, yes, I, I fully take the point um, that they do interact and feed into one another, and we do actually have to determine what our overall direction of travel is in the new year. So I think the report on the local development scheme will help 
with that chairman, which we're hoping to bring to you in the new year as well, which will, again, set out the various stages that, that we will be going through to get the plan uh, up to draft stage. I mean, as you say, Mr Payne did lay that out in the document at the last meeting, but um, clearly there comes a time when you start to have to shape the decision-making process. Um, and a lot of what we've done so far is in terms of what criteria and how are we going to do that. Um, but uh, yes, in, in, in the new year, you will be presenting to us uh, papers in terms of when and how we need to determine the overall strategy and obviously how everything else fits into that, including employment and, um, and infrastructure, uh, before we get on to then the specification of any kind of sites, which will then come perhaps in the second quarter of next year. Sorry, Chairman, yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Councillor Barker. Uh, yes, I mean, I'd just like to add, you know, a lot of this work will be informed by the outcomes of the consultation we've just been through. We will get strong representation from the public on what sort of thing they do or don't want to see, and we will have to take that into account. You know, the Greenbelt review here, there are some, you know, potential bits of Greenbelt that somebody is going to review and think may not be as important Greenbelt as other bits of Greenbelt. There will be major settlement options that have been put forward that will be sieved out, and that will, you know, as things move forwards, you know, a direction will become clearer. But at some point in time, choices have to be made. And, uh, you know, a choice will have to be made by this group and by this council. Councillor Dean. Yes, thank you, Chairman. I'd, I'd um, just like to ask Mr Fox whether the paper that he's proposing in, sounded like January, will, will include um, some form of flowchart to show how things interact with each other. I'm forever talking about flowcharts and I haven't seen one yet. And, and, and I, I do find them helpful even though they don't they never tell you the whole story. You know, they can't do that because I, I still have in the back of my mind some concerns about not only I agree that we as to use the expression, you've got to jump off the roundabout at some stage, but it's really a case of what you're jumping off with. In other words, have you actually gone about putting this thing together in the right order and made your decisions at the right time, of which there are many? So I don't want to go into any detail at the moment, but other than to say, you know, we're still lacking a vision. Um, and, and I would have started off with that, as you know, Mr. Chairman, when we talked about it uh, 10 months ago. So, so there, are, there are more things to do, and I. And I I think putting them in the right order so we all understand what happens and then we can talk about what happens within each box or each lozenge or whatever we, <laughs> nomenclature we use uh, and, and, and we can adapt it as time goes on if, um, but if you've got a chart you can change it if you haven't got one then you're never quite sure where you are on the, on the roundabout or on the, uh, in the maze Yeah, I mean I, th I think that's a perfectly legitimate um, um, request and uh, fully endorse that, uh, Maggie, so we'll minute that. Um, I think we have a vision. Um, it's about uh, the implementation that uh, we're talking about, um, but I'll let Mr Fox respond. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, Chairman. Very, very briefly, Chairman. Yeah, uh, strangely enough, uh, Councillor Dean, um, Mr Taylor and myself were having the self-same conversation in the office before this meeting about putting, constructing that sort of flowchart together in terms of how all the bits, how all, all the evidence streams relate to one another and how that ties in with the plan preparation uh, process. And as I said, I think that that's one of my key tasks early in the new year is to, is to, is to get that sorted out and, and put it to this group. Councillor Mills. 
I mean, if you are doing that, it's a critical path analysis, and that will give us the jumping-off point. If we don't know what the jumping-off point is, we can't tell whether we are on that program. So, in principle, it's something we asked for four weeks ago, and it's something which, yeah, if we can bring forward as soon as possible. Yeah? Same thing. Okay, thank you very much. We'll now move on to item four, the Green Belt Review, and delighted to welcome Arup here. But before I do that, and perhaps uh, he, uh, Mr. Taylor will be doing the specific introductions, I'll ask him to comment. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Yes, as you know, we've appointed our consultants, um, Arup, to carry out um, a Green Belt Review. You'll know from the brief this comes in in two stages, um, and the team uh, introduce themselves in a moment. Um, but uh, they are going to take us through the first stage tonight with a presentation, um, and then obviously time for questions, Chairman, um, following that presentation um, before they then go off and, and, and do their work. So um, I'll pass over to, uh, to to Christopher to start off with. Uh, good good evening. Um, what we'd like to do this evening, we're very much at the start of the process, so what, what we'd like to do this evening is talk to you about our approach to the Greenbelt Review um, so that you can input into that process and ask questions um, and, and make sure you're happy with it. I mean, it goes without saying that Greenbelt Reviews are, are a, a sensitive subject, so, you know, and have to be approached in a very robust kind of way. So, you know, we're, we're very interested in your input or concerns um, about that. Um, it's perhaps worth starting by just reminding ourselves why we're, um, why you're re reviewing the Green Belt. I, I think this, you're probably fair from listening to the discussion I've just heard. You're, you're very up to speed on all these issues, so I won't labour it. But um, I suppose the objective of meeting housing need or attempting to meet your objectively assessed needs is, is clearly putting a lot, lots of pressure um, on, um, on your land resources, um, including uh, Greenbelt. Um, you know, you can't say at this stage whether you're going to be able to meet the objectively assessed needs, but this is one of the areas um, that you will be um, expected to look at. Um, the um, national guidance, which again I suspect you're very familiar with, um, introduces this presumption in favour of sustainable development where you're not meeting um, needs uh, and allows applicants to put in effectively speculative proposals. So by, by having a ro very robust evidence to support your green belt or uh, 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 you, you, you put yourself in a much stronger position um, to resist um, speculative development as well as making your um, plan and I suppose for those reasons most local authorities I mean everybody's undertaking one at the moment most local authorities now regard having a, uh, an up-to-date and robust green Greenbelt Review um, as a, an essential part of the evidence base, um, whichever way you want to go. You know, you don't undertake, and I say also at the outset, you don't undertake this exercise with a view to anything. You're really, the, the whole exercise is about assessing the strength of your Greenbelt against the national purposes um, of, um, of the Greenbelt. And the brief um, we've been set by um, you and your officers very much fits with um, uh, that, that kind of approach, which is to, to prepare an assessment of the district's green belt against the five purposes, which I'll talk about in a moment, um, in sufficient detail to allow you to make informed decisions about what, what, what you want to do in the future. You might decide to do nothing. You might decide to do something. I mean, listening to that discussion you were just having about when you jump off the ship sort of thing, um, it's, it's a 
it's a very difficult. It's, it's not. I shouldn't say. It's, I, I, I knew I'd got my metaphor wrong as, as, as I said that. Um, it's it's um, it, it, it's quite. It, that is a really big issue, which all we're doing about nine other Greenbelt reviews, or have been doing. That is a really quite a difficult decision. Our, our thought is, it's when you've collated. So, it, it, although it can be a flow diagram, it's more like a Venn diagram, if you if you remember that, where everything comes together and you think about everything in the round and decide what you're you're going to do. Um, but that's the um, the purpose of the study um, that we've been set. Um, interestingly, you're not a district. I mean, I've been doing lots of other southeast authorities where they've got huge swathes of Greenbelt covering most of their area. Interestingly, um, you're not a district with a huge amount of, um, of Greenbelt. Um, you, you, you're sort of part of the metropolitan Greenbelt, um, the London Greenbelt, um, but you've also, um, which was formally introduced in, in the Essex case in 1964, so it's very long-standing, and I should, 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 64, yes, which is quite an early one. When you look at a place like Oxford, it was 1980 before it was introduced. But your own, um, uh, your own particular approach to Greenbelt dates from 1995, um, which is when you were um, seeking to uh, prevent the sort of um, coalescence of Bishop Stortford with Stansted, Stansted uh, Mount Fitchett. Um, so you've got quite a specific greenbelt um, there, and it's one which probably needs quite a strategic decision. You know, you're making quite a, you're making a decision which involves lots lots of factors. If down the line you were thinking about amending um, its um, boundaries, in terms of um, greenbelt purposes, I suspect you're also um, familiar with um, these. Um, they're defined, they've been defined, they originally date from 1955 and they've been amended very subtly um, ever since. Uh, but they are, the purposes of Greenbelt, and this is why you designate Greenbelt, is to check the unrestricted sprawl of large built-up areas, to prevent neighbouring towns from merging into one another. I think that those first two are quite um, straightforward. The third one, to assist in safeguarding the countryside um, from encroachment. Um, uh, which is really a, 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 you know, preserving the openness of the countryside. It's sometimes a slightly difficult that one that that purpose um, because by definition, if you're doing any green if, if you're doing any green field um, development, you are encroaching into the countryside. So, um, um, but it's um, one which needs quite a lot of attention. We'll talk about it in a moment, a bit more in a moment. To preserve the setting and special character of historic towns, uh, where you've got historic towns, and in some cases the definition has been taken wider to include historic assets and conservation areas. Um, a lot of what you do in a Greenbelt review relates to why the Greenbelt was originally designated. You know, Greenbelts tend to have their own sort of unique history, as well as meeting these purposes. There tends to be a history, and they were. Uh, defined for a particular purpose. So if you look around Cambridge, the Green Belt was declared in part to, to protect the setting of the backs and the colleges, the view across the water meadows, um, and so on. So they, they tends to be local factors. And if there is a heritage or a, a factor in your Greenbelt review, it's probably one which has been there since its original designation, um, or you're a, you're a very historic town. But we'll talk about that some more in a moment. 
Um, and then the last one, to assist in urban regeneration um, by encouraging the recycling of derelict and other land. Um, sometimes that one feels a little bit difficult to apply because most of you haven't got much brownfield or, 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 or derelict land. Um, it certainly works if, we, if, you, if you're thinking we were working in Cheshire East. Cheshire East has got lots of uh, brownfield sites and it works for Cheshire East, but I'm not sure it's one which particular, particularly applies um, in um, this area. So with that introduction, Andy's just going to give you a brief overview of the methodology. Any questions at this stage before? Yep. Yes, uh, can I give you my Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, number four there, to preserve the setting and special character of historic towns. I suppose a, a lot of the thoughts of Greenbelt Review is that we might want to suppress areas of Greenbelt. Are we going to look at it from the other side? Do towns like Saffron Walden and Thaxted possibly also deserve a green belt and will that be part of the review? Yes, it is part of the study to consider whether there's a case for designating other areas of green belt that is part of the study. And because, because it's hard to look at complete districts, we'd be interested in your guidance on where you think we should look at those. So if you'd like to give us that to us uh, um, now or at some point in the discussion, uh, we'll be interested. Yeah. Could I just ask, on one of the maps, and I, I enjoyed reading this actually, and, um, the thing that struck me most, I knew about Epping Forest and its green belt. I didn't realise how much of Chelmsford was green belt as well. Yes. Quite surprised when you look at the map, and uh, I'm talking to a colleague, um, they said, yes, that's why all the development in Chelmsford is up north, because yes, um, they're, they're protected down south. Um, could you tell me, what are the areas on the maps? They've all got little numbers, 14, 24, 37. Are they, they don't appear to be parishes. What do they refer to? Yeah, I, I can come on to that. Um, actually, you're slightly preempting. So I'll, I'll move on to the next slide and hopefully talk you through. <laughs> but we can come back to anything if you... Okay, Councillor Dean, but your point may be covered during the presentation. I, I'm looking at the same map with all the numbers, and I'm not okay. going to ask questions about the numbers because I think I read what it's all about somewhere else. But... Um, I, you know, I just want to make a general comment. I mean, I was around in the 90s when the Green Belt was established between Bishop Stortford and Stansted and surrounding Birchanger to stop the three uh, settlements uh, coalescing. And I have to admit uh, that until now I haven't given much thought to the rest of it further south. And, and when I look at the map that you had up there and the one that I've, I'm looking at now, which is, oh, I don't know, it might be figure 4.3, the one with all the little numbers on anyway. Um, I mean, there, there, are, there are two things that jump to mind. One is, and, and we've, we've sort of alluded to this in the past, why on earth is all of Epping Forest in the Metropolitan Green Belt, Metropolitan District in, in, Epping, in Metropolitan Green Belt, coming up to Uttlesford's boundary? And then the second question is, why does it overspill into Uttlesford in the way that it does? It's almost as though it's got, there's been a green wash that they can't quite paint very precisely, and it's splodged into Uttlesford and following, as far as I can see, no logical boundary. There might, there might, it might be. So I think, I think there's a fundamental question there that, that needs to be asked. And, and you know, when you talk about the methodology, I might pick up that same point there about yes. coalescent of settlements. You know, yes. Why does it matter if villagers down there get close together but not further north which in a way is a bit yes. like the point that was yes. answered elsewhere. I mean I, I suspect it was a county 
initiative um, it was probably done on a boundary neutral kind of way um, it's my guess I mean it can only be a guess as to why that particular boundary was formed but well, it's your, not on a boundary your, I mean, your, 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 your on plan, our side your plan would have confirmed it because it was the local plan that would have um, um, yeah. defined the precise boundary yeah. okay let's have the detail thanks yeah. okay thank you um, might help if the rest of you could turn your mics off <coughs> I don't thanks okay so to provide hopefully a, a flow diagram that shows the process um, and rather simplistically and there's, there's some more detailed slides behind this that we can delve into if, if um, people wish um, four key steps to um, undertaking the review actually the first thing I should say is um, there is really no defined methodology for undertaking a Greenbelt review at the national level um, and therefore all local authorities are undertaking them are having to um, come up with their own methodology um, while we um, have a, a, a broad strategy that works the idea is to make sure that that is adapted to the local context so issues such as historic settlements you know are very unique to a particular local authority area um, so the methodology we've worked with um, with Anzu um, and also talked through with adjoining um, local authorities who have or are undertaking Greenbelt studies um, to ensure alignment of uh, different assessments across the region. Um, so the, the four key steps that we're undertaking, the first step is to identify um, a set of parcels, land parcels, um, which we're able to undertake the review. Um, the idea being that um, we break it down into manageable chunks of the Greenbelt um, based around what national policy defines as um, permanent and defensible boundaries um, to identify those parcels that I think um, one of the, the councillors has alluded to earlier. Um, again, there's no definition of what is a permanent and defensible boundary, but what we um, have applied are features such as motorways, A roads, B roads, railways, um, rivers, other watercourses, any, any physical feature that could be argued as a, as a permanent feature of the landscape. Um, we've utilised those to identify um, parcel boundaries. Um, as I'm sure you know, in, in parts of the, the district, there are less um, features such as A roads and B roads than in others, so um, we've had to be slightly flexible in the south and the east of the district. Um, actually, I'll tell you what, I will. I will move, I'll jump a few slides ahead um, to provide that more detail. So, so the map, um, which you probably can't read particularly well, but that, that's an extract from our methodology and it shows the parcelisation um, of the, of the Greenbelt. And in the areas um, to the south where the overlap is with Epping Forest, there's much more um, flat topography, um, fewer features to define. So we've had to utilise slightly smaller features um, to define those um, parcels. The, all of the parcels will be checked when we undertake our site visits in January to sense check. At the moment, they've been undertaken on a desk-based exercise using GIS and mapping. Um, we, when we travel around the district looking at the parcels and assessing, we will check you know, whether a, a river or watercourse that's been picked up on GIS is in actual fact a permanent defensible boundary that we feel is appropriate for a parcel. So there may be some adjustment to those parcels as we go forward. Um, I should also say um, you'll notice that the parcels do overlap with, your, um, with adjoining authorities. Um, the reason for that is again the, the application of um, the, the phrase permanent and defensible boundaries um, often 
the, uh, the district boundary in particular to, to Epping Forest isn't along a particular feature. Um, in fact, in some cases it appears to just cross field boundaries and so on. Um, so we have uh, moved across until we find an appropriate, um, sufficiently robust boundary road to utilise for that parcel. Um, I should add, and it's clear in the methodology, the recommendations that the report will come out with aren't intended to recommend anything on uh, an adjoining authority's greenbelt. It's a jurisdiction and they're undertaking their own assessments. Um, but for the purpose of the assessment, we've taken those larger parcels, so they, they, they will be assessed in, in the round. So once we've identified those parcels, the next step is to um, undertake the assessment against the Greenbelt purposes set out in the National Planning Policy Framework, as Chris has mentioned. Um, there are some detailed slides on this. Um, I'm conscious time's getting on, but I, I, will, I will go through these fairly quickly, and I'm happy to take um, questions at the end. Um, the first step um, on purpose one, which is uh, uh, to check the unrestricted sprawl of large built-up areas is to define what a large built-up area is and we've worked again with, um, with officers and with neighbouring authorities and what they've looked at in their greenbelt studies to define um, what we believe are large built-up areas primarily based on settlement, published settlement hierarchies. Um, within Uttlesford, the slight exception, well actually both are exception, um, Stansted Airport, while not identified as a, a settlement in the hierarchy, um, is of a similar scale and has similar characters in terms of being a built-up area that we argue that it should be considered for that purpose. And Stansted Mount Fitchett, whilst being a, a second-tier settlement, um, we felt um, it was of a sufficient scale and similar um, in comparison to Sawbridgeworth, which was picked up in the East Hearts Greenbelt study to justify its inclusion um, under Purpose 1. Um, following that, uh, and looking at the parcels that do directly adjoin those identified large built-up areas, um, we effectively look at the relationship of that greenbelt parcel and the large built-up area to understand um, what role that parcel of greenbelt is playing in preventing sprawl. So is it the greenbelt in itself or are there other features such as roads or railway lines that prevent a natural barrier to settlements um, sprawling beyond their existing footprint? Um, purpose two, which is to prevent neighbouring towns merging into one another, again using settlement hierarchies and in discussions with neighbouring authorities, we've identified a series of um, uh, settlements that are uh, non-greenbelt settlements, so excluded from, um, from the greenbelt, um, to look at uh, the relationship of those settlements and the role of the greenbelt between those in preventing them from merging. <coughs> And then we undertake an assessment of those parcels of greenbelt between those settlements, um, looking at um, aspects such as distance, but not, not solely distance, um, looking at topography, looking at the character of the land. Um, so therefore you could have a very small gap, but because there's a ridge line or a hill in between, actually the parcel um, is, uh, plays a a different role in preventing merging than perhaps a, a much larger parcel that has a very flat topography where settlements are in sort of visual distance of each other and there may be a perception of, of coalescence between settlements. Um, purpose three, which is to assist the safeguard, uh, in safeguarding the countryside from encroachment, um, is recognised that there is a lot of development already within the Greenbelt and the assessment will look at um, what uh, development has already existed within the Greenbelt 
um, and what that, what that creates, what, what the character of those areas is. Um, there's some examples down below of um, um, some existing large-scale developments within the Greenbelt. Um, pardon? We'll check that. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and the assessment um, is two-stage again. We, we undertake a GIS mapping exercise to understand the percentage of built form within each parcel. Um, uh, but on top of that, we then look at the site visits um, to understand what is the character of that um, uh, built form. So while you may have a higher percentage of built form, it may be concentrated in one smaller, uh, one corner of a parcel or you may have a lower percentage of built form that's distributed across the parcel and they create a very different feel for, for how open um, a particular parcel of Greenbelt actually is. Um, purpose four, to preserve the setting and special character of historic towns. Um, at this stage, um, having written the methodology but not having undertaken the site visits, we actually um, are not sure that we will need to assess against this purpose um, using the Essex Historic Towns, SPG, and other um, Greenbelt studies published by neighbouring authorities. The only uh, historic town that has been defined through those processes that is particularly close to the Ottersford Greenbelt is Sawbridgeworth. Um, we will look at the relationship of the Ottersford Greenbelt with Sawbridgeworth to understand whether there is a relationship between the settlement um, and Ottersford's Greenbelt. Um, and if there is, then there will be um, an assessment around those particular parcels around uh, nearer Sawbridgeworth. Um, and uh, finally, as Chris said, on purpose five, um, the, the, we don't believe that that purpose in itself is particularly helpful to utilise um, in the assessment, and many local authorities have tended to um, avoid scoring purely against um, purpose five. Um, mainly around um, the, the sort of lack of derelict and other land um, that Chris alluded to earlier. Okay, I realise we didn't introduce ourselves at the beginning. Sorry, I'm Chris, Chris Tunnell, I'm a director of ARAP and the project director, and this is my colleague Andy Barron, who's, the, who's managing the project. Um, Sorry. I'm conscious we probably talked for far too long, but just to very quickly um, conclude, um, using each of those um, purpose assessments. We will look at each of the, the greenbelt parcels and provide a score generally on a scale of one to five to identify the strength of that greenbelt against each individual purpose. Um, we wouldn't propose to aggregate scores across the purposes. We believe that national policy uh, only requires um, greenbelt to meet one purpose. It doesn't require high scoring across all purposes to justify its inclusion as greenbelt. Um, so, um, Using that, we would then start to identify whole parcels or areas within parcels that are potentially weaker scoring against the Greenbelt purposes in national policy. Um, and finally, uh, the conclusions of the report would lead to a number of recommendations um, on the performance of the Ottersford Greenbelt, identifying, as I say, those weaker performing Greenbelts um, and also potentially smaller sub-areas within those parcels um, that may be uh, weaker uh, against the purposes um, and as Chris mentioned at the start um, the recommendations from the report would effectively um, feed into the wider um, evidence base 
process that um, you've been discussing earlier in the meeting. And apologies, that was a very quick run through, but happy to discuss and take questions. Well, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Councillor Lachlan, then Councillor Dean, and then Councillor Lodge. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I noticed you didn't uh, mention Braintree in this at all, or does that come under Chelmsford urban area? Because that really isn't that far from Stansted Airport up the A120. So I just wondered, didn't have a mention anywhere. If I bring up, if I bring up the map, if that's. We'll have, a, we'll, we'll have a look. I think we'd conclude it was too far away, but we'll have a look. It's a considerable distance from the boundary of the Greenbelt, isn't it? Yeah, it's much further north and, and east, isn't it? Because it's a, if you look, look there, it's, it's off, the, off the plan to the right-hand side, to the east, so it's much, much higher up than um, the, the existing Greenbelt boundary. Because the Chelmsford one um, comes, drops down... Chelmsford is nearish. Is it further down? Sorry, is we'll check. We'll check. Para 85. Para 85. It's a long way up. Okay, Councillor Dean. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I'd like to refer to what on my document is Table 4.2, which did appear up there. This was a list of. This was under the purpose. Two, preventing neighbouring towns merging into one another, and it listed a number of villages which I'll pick out. I mean, one is one is Elsenham, which is um, nowhere near the metropolitan Greenbelt. Well, it's several, two to three miles away. Let's put it that way. And then Hatfield Heath, which is not within the MGB at the moment. It is. Is it? I'm, yeah, so, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Hatfield Heath. Yes, sorry, Hatfield Heath is surrounded, but not close to anywhere that it's likely to merge with, I think, is the point I was going to make. Um, Take, Takeley isn't. Uh, yeah, that's listed. That's on the A1, north of the A1, well, mostly north of the A120. And, you know, and the same question arises about, for instance, White Roading. Uh, you know, there are other roading villages nearby, but there's no... There's, there's nothing there that to me says something's going to try to merge with it. So I'm just yeah. trying to get my yeah. head around yeah, what it is right. you're look, going to be looking for. I think, I think they, may, they may eventually, we will come to that conclusion, but I think the lesson of other Greenbelt reviews has been to scope all those settlements in, in case there is a relationship. The only one which seemed, I thought may have a relationship is Takeley because of its relationship to Stansted Airport. Yes. It's on the A120, yes. isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, and since we've defined <coughs> Stansted as a, as a settlement, effectively, although not Greenbelt, it may be worth just looking at that. Because there's your other point, um, I think Councillor Lodge made, about considering other areas where Greenbelt may be justified, yeah. Okay, Councillor Lodge. Yes, in fact, I, I was just coming back to yeah. that. So out of your flowchart, uh, it seems to me you have another box needed now. Yeah. Okay. Which was that okay. looking at, at okay. historic towns? Okay. Point four there. The, the arguments work in, as you probably understand, the arguments work in. So you'd have to justify exceptional circumstances yeah. to designate Greenbelt as well as take it out. Yeah. Indeed, yes, yes. Greenbelt is, is, uh, is has been pretty robust over the years, I think. Mm. 
and so I, I understand that, but nonetheless it is worthy of consideration. Yes. And then the other point that I was coming on to was that you, you talked about settlement hierarchy a couple of times and you mentioned it in the, uh, in the report a few times. Uh, is my impression that's from the old plan? As far as I'm concerned, we don't really have an, a, an agreed settlement hierarchy. So is that actually relevant for what you're doing? It, it, it is from, from the previous plan, and it's acknowledged that there isn't currently an adopted or an updated settlement hierarchy. We've used that. Uh, there is no, there's no guidance in uh, the national policy that tells you how to define a settlement or a large amount of area. So therefore we have looked to what evidence you have in the past as what may be appropriate. It, it, there's no right and wrong, so we're more than happy to adjust settlements. Or so you're being pragmatic about that. It appears to be there, so use it. But you won't be hard and fast and you'll come to yeah, your own conclusions right. on it. Yeah. In that yeah. case, I'm content. Well, I know hierarchy is rather an old-fashioned word. People don't use it anymore. Okay. Councillor Mills. Just to understand the principle, so if you were to load it and you had areas that came into category one, where it's a very low, yep. if you like, then those would be the areas that would possibly come forward to be removed from the green belt. Yes? That would be up yeah. to you. I think the ch what, but that's what, the principle of how you're, that's, that's you're the generating yes, yes. a scale. Yes. Okay, but, but that's it's, fine. But it's, it is more complex than that, because if I characterised it this kind of way, where, you do green, where we've done greenbelt reviews elsewhere, you often end, only end up with some rather funny little parcels which don't meet greenbelt purposes. And when you look at them and say, are these suitable for release, you quickly say no, because they've got no infrastructure, or you, you can come up with lots of reasons. So actually what happens at the end of the day is when you do your assessment in the round, if you're looking at options which affect the greenbelt, you may still want to consider Greenbelt which scored quite highly but you'll just have to make quite strong, stronger arguments to an inspector to, to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean it, it, it's all in the round I'm afraid and it's not because you actually I suspect you will end up with some little parcels that may score um, low, less than some of the others but they'll all score as Greenbelt I suspect looking at it um, and so you'll have to decide later whether you think they're ones you might want to release or not, or whether they're suitable for development. Um, just two things, Chairman. Um, I mean, as a county councillor, the majority of the green belt in this district sits in my ward along the, the A1060, which for part of it is the natural boundary, which I think comes back to some of your question, you know, why is the line there? Well, a lot of it is aligned along the A1, A1060. Um, but sort of the thing that really comes to mind is we've been told that, I mean, two things. If one did decide that there are areas that should be designated as Greenbelt, I imagine that would have to go to the Secretary of State. Well, you'd have to propose it in the plan with quite a okay, strong Okay, so that's strong how that happens. Yeah. I've also heard that Greenbelt reviews are part one and part two. Assuming yeah. this is part one, what happens in part two? Part, part, part two is an exercise which you decide to do in the light of part one, where you start considering... because. You'd consider everything in slightly more detail because having identified parcels you might wish to take to consider further, you start looking at them in, in much more detail and decide things like is it the complete parcel you'd, you'd want to consider releasing or is it part of the parcel, how does it work, how does it interact with other designations because you might find it's in a flood risk area or uh, uh, there's another constraint which means it's unlikely to be developed Epping Forest, you know you're unlikely to develop in Epping Forest because Epping Forest is protected by other measures and not least ownerships as well from development. So you'd consider, that's what a stage two does, it considers okay. it Thank more you. detail. Yeah. 
Councillor Mills and Councillor Dean. Sorry, just quickly, um, do you know when the last time anybody ad actually added anything to the green belt was? That's a good question. Um, we certainly, I, I, I don't think I can answer that, but we certainly were in, in we were doing, we've done green belt work in Runnymede to the west of London, and we have proposed green belt there because it's just obvious that you've got some land which just looks rather odd and um, they're, they're doing it they wish to propose some um, possible releases where road has cut off a bit of green belt but they're also considering adding some back in you know adding some in so yeah it's, it's happening yeah yeah it's been a tough argument I mean the last time there was a big round in the I think it was in the late 80s where a lot of Towns, places like Norwich and Exeter, if I remember, uh, proposed to put green belts around themselves, and they were all thrown out by the Secretary of State um, on the basis that no green belt was justified because there was nowhere to coalesce with. So there hasn't been, you're right, there hasn't been much big areas of new green belts since I think about, I think you're probably one of the last with your, um, your, your, your sort of um, Stansley Mount Fitchett one. Um, but um, not, not, not much has been designated, it's true to say, so you'd need quite a strong argument. Um, a parochial matter about Stansted Mount Fitcher. You flashed off a photograph of Arthur Findlay College, which we call Stansted Hall, which is on the eastern edge, I think, of Stansted Park, runs down to the railway, and, and a couple of years ago, planning permission was given as an exception to policy for some development in, in that area, which is you know, an exception to the Green Belt policy. I, why was that photo up there? We were is illustrating, that? I think we, above all we were illustrating that we were aware of some of the issues in the district. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't looked at it, we haven't been out on site yet to look at this in great detail, but we wanted to at least show you that we had <laughs> thought about what was in your district. It's not just theoretical. Okay. That's right. Right. That's right. Thank you. There's an honest answer to that one. Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I was going, I'm just curious really about the site visits. You'll be visiting all of the sites, yes. all of the sites yeah. in Arthur. Will you be going on your own, or will officers be going with you? I don't know how it works. I suspect we'll be going on our own, um, um, not least because your officers are probably a little busy, because they will take quite a long time to do the site visits, um, and we will take photographs of significant issues or features. So we've got a record afterwards. Um, we, we use a, a sort of camera with a referencing system, so you can tell where you took the photograph from and all, all, all that sort of thing. Sorry, this, I have not known this to happen before, so I didn't know what, how it worked. That was it's, quite, it's quite tricky. The only thing I'd say, which is there are practicalities about it, like we were discussing the area around the service area on the um, uh, M11 and wondering whether we could actually get access to all those sites. So <laughs> we're going to have to think it through quite carefully about how we can get a visual to do a visual inspection of those sites. So there may, I mean, in some districts, the district has helped us to get access by talking to the landowner um, to allow us to have access. But, you know, there's a bit, of, there's a practical reality about it all that you can't wander far into farmland without um, consent. But we'll try to do everything. We'll try to, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and if you were to say, well, yes, this is... Um, this part of the green belt could be removed for development or something like that. We won't go that far. You don't go that far. We don't go that far. We say it may, we would say it's one of your weaker bits of green belt, and then it's up to you to decide whether you unless unless you said to us recommend which bits of green belt should be released. Our experience elsewhere is it's a decision which is better taken in the round with all the other evidence and, your, and local considerations. Um, so it's almost safer. Uh, I, 
it's almost safer to leave that decision to, to you because you don't want to publish a report where a consultant recommends a release of a parcel of green belt because you know, we all know the development community would leap on that with a... Uh, so you wouldn't be looking at infrastructure or um, accesses or anything to where these green belts that are? That would be a stage two. That would be stage two. two assessment. Okay, I, thank you. I think we'd get familiar with it. So, we'd go, so when we, if we come back to present to you and we go through the parcels, we could perhaps talk them through what we thought might be the issues of them, which is what we've done elsewhere. So we're wow. happy to do that and say. And I think you can see on a map usually that you know, access is going to be very difficult to that site. So, yeah, yeah, so I think I'm clear that uh, each of those sections will come back with a grade one to five, yes, as you indicated on, on your slide. Against each purpose. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Purpose. So, so that's fine. That's the end of phase yes, one. So going back to Councillor Lodge's point, what, what, what would happen uh, around an additional um, Greenbelt site? How, how would that process work? Has that got to be fed in at some point or do you do that in phase two? Or? No, I think what we would do is, if, because it's hard to look at the whole district, if you were to suggest areas which you thought there might be a potential um, Greenbelt, we would, we would examine them and come back with a view on them. So in other words, and when we wrote our report, we would say the council remitted to us to look at the following areas, and these are our conclusions on whether they would meet Greenbelt purposes. Okay, so will, will officers do that, or, or do you want members to make that suggestion? Well, uh, I think we've got to be slightly circumspect um, in terms of, I don't want to curtail any processes, but maybe there's a two-stage to this, because otherwise we could have every village in Uttlesford being put forward. So, um, you know, I think there's got to be a sort of, whether it's a realistic proposal, um, so maybe that's done in conjunction with officers, and then, I mean, we can discuss it in this group, John, if necessary, but... Um, um, but clearly, fr from the sound of it, it's going to be a pretty uh, tall ask to get anything additionally included. I, so it, it is. And the other point I'd make is that, of course, you are part of the Metropolitan Greenbelt here, so it would have to be related to that. Unfortunately, if you decided to put a Greenbelt, I don't know, let's choose a place which is if Buntingford, which is in East Hearts, decided to put a Greenbelt, that wouldn't you know, except because that's, a sort of free, that's an entirely new sort of concept. So you're really looking around your existing green belt and uh, adding extra bits to your existing green belt is the most realistic approach to that rather than looking at entirely new places uh, for a green belt. And of course in the plan you can use other designations, um, you know, you could, you could introduce your own local designations to protect other places. Um, so I think the process is let's discuss that internally and if we have to bring it back to the next meeting here. Um, before we go forward and, and then and officers perhaps could have a preliminary discussion about whether there is a, um, a, 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 a sort of realism check before the work is undertaken. Yeah, we, yeah we can engage in that. Okay. Councillor Barker, then we'll try and move on. Chair, it's only on, on that point that, yes, I mean, I've seen nods in the audience. We would have every parish in the district saying, I want to be green belt. Um, but the other thing is, if it was something that came forward as a suggestion in a plan and the inspector did not think it was realistic, yes. it would be another reason for the inspector to query the validity of our plan and it I wouldn't would. want to do anything to prejudice it that. It would, yes. That's correct. Okay, um, just to remind colleagues uh, that the recommendation is to note the update and methodology for phase one of the work, and there could be two phases to this work. Phase one that we've had a long uh, conversation around, asked many questions, and thank you very much for your presentations. Those in favour of noting the updates and the methodology, please 
show uh, carried unanimously. Thank you very much indeed for your time tonight, and right. um, good luck with the work. See you again. Yeah, see us again. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, moving on to uh, agenda item five, the call for sites and strategic land availability assessment. I call upon Mrs. Nicholas. Thank you. Um, thank you, Chairman. This report is just to let members know that details of the sites submitted by landowners and their agents through the call for sites process has now been published on the website. The information can be found at uttlesford.gov.uk forward slash call for sites, which is quite an easy um, address. Um, here there's a link to an interactive map but there's also a link to a series of PDF documents for each parish which lists the sites in a table, the details of the proposed development and then there's a parish map showing all the sites in the parish followed by a series of maps for each site. Um, we're just in the process as well of uploading ac the actual forms that were submitted to us um, under the call for sites as additional documentation and uh, so that's available as well. This information has been published for information only and officers not seeking comments at this time. Officers are in the process of assessing each of these sites and it will be these assessments which comments and fact-checking will be sought from Town and Parish Councils and the site promoters uh, mainly. And we aim to publish this assessment in January, February next year. Members will recall that the, uh, they approved the methodology for the assessment for consultation and appended to this report is a summary of the comments received and officer response. The main change made following the consultation is to the suitability criteria, moving it away from a scoring, sort of positive-negative scoring system to more textual answers where there's no judgment is made. So the assessment is a desktop assessment of the sites and will provide a source of evidence to be used alongside other evidence to determine the housing and employment strategy. Um, just one small, small matter to note is that because the um, assessment considers residential and employment uses, um, we're now calling it a strategic land availability assessment as, to, as opposed to strategic housing land availability assessment, which we've done in the past. Um, but that uh, concludes my initial comments. Thank you very much. Councillor Dean. I have um, a question and, and a comment. My, my question relates to paragraph 7 where on page 70 under the heading situation where it says the council is no longer accepting sites through the call for sites process. I thought obviously incorrectly that uh, this was something that anybody could pop up with at any, any time and, and particularly as the, you know, the process has got a long way to go and it might well be that somebody out there says well I've just got the bit that solves this gap somewhere else for instance um, so could I just query that statement, please? I think we're not taking sites through the call for sites process. We, can, we will always accept sites that come into us, and it may be more through the strategic land availability assessment or other consultation documents that um, we go at that when people suggest sites to us. Um, we won't... The, the, all the sites that have been submitted through that call for sites process are up on the website. I don't think we'll necessarily keep updating that documentation, 
but when it becomes a strategic land availability assessment which is more than just the call for sites submitted through the call for sites as the methodology goes through a whole series of sites we, and that's updated annually we can update any sites that come to us through that and depending on where we are in the process of the local plan preparation making it sure that it's fed into the process when deciding on, on housing strategy. So you were really right the first no, time. No, that, 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 that's yep. fine. No, okay, I, I understand that. My, my comment really is the, the timing of this, because I was completely thrown on Monday last week when I happened to be looking at Facebook, of all things, and uh, found a map of the, the sites in Newport, and, uh, and I thought, where's Councillor Hargreaves got that from? Because I didn't know that the um, information had been published, and I didn't know that it was going to be published uh, one working day after the close of the, um, what's it called, options and issues and options uh, consultation, which ended on the 4th of December. I knew that the information wasn't going to be released until after, but, but um, it was my understanding, and I know there was some reference to this in the documentation, that... Uh, Martin Payne produced at our last meeting about the sequence of events. It was, it was more the timing because I thought in my ignorance it would appear that, um, that we were going to have the analysis of the issues and options pr proposals. In other words, these lozenges and blobs that everybody uh, commented on uh, up to 4th of December. And we were going to look at those in a um, a so-called strategic approach um, rather than bothering ourselves with the knowledge of who wanted to build on whose field um, and, and, and I mean we certainly took that line with the public that we were going, weren't going to publish that information so that the public's opinions might be uh, fettered by it and, and, and I thought that we were going to go to that stage and therefore we we're going to filter out some of the blobs and lozenges and whatever other shapes there were on the map that was out for consultation and then we were, we were going to look at individual sites um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm raising it now because a couple of people have come up to me, one who lives in Saffron Walden and one who lives in Stansted who's you know, fairly well interested in these subjects you know, and said not only did they think they were jumping the gun but they, they, they felt that the, the issues and options consultation was a bit of a I don't know whether sham is the right word but why were we consulting on lozenges and blobs when we knew or when officers knew uh, beneath those there were lots of you know, site proposals and we, we've, we've been and I've went to the public meetings in Denver and Saffron Walden and Stansted and sort of stood up and said I'm not influenced by any developers when, when people were saying, who oh, did you go to a meeting in about Eastern Park uh, in, in near Dunmo? Um, and, you know, under cross heart said, no, I didn't, and, and I'm not being influenced by that. And, but the public, well, the people who challenged me say, well, it just seems to me that the issues on options stage was a bit of a waste of time because we've already got these sites and lo and behold the next working day they're, they're public so I just, I just, I'm just left a bit uneasy I think about the fact that one, it was done that way secondly that I wasn't even told it was coming out and I know I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to have known it was coming out sometime in the future but not, not last Monday so there's a communication problem for a start and, and there is a, there's also 
I think uh, a procedural point which comes back to the request for um, a flow chart as to what we're going to do in which order so that and particularly I might say that when, you know, when we met in January this year at our I think it was the first meeting of the new working group we had a, a timetable set out which, which said that the call for sites was going to be between July and December this year and then again without my knowledge it happened in April I can't remember why it happened in April rather than between July and December so, the, so I think there are two things one is that I think it's important that members of this working group aren't caught by surprise by things happening uh, even if it's publication of information that's apparently been around for quite some time uh, and, and that also we do have clarity about what our sequence of events are so that we, we know what track we're following uh, I, don't, I don't need a, you know, a, a detailed answer to this I think I'm, I'm <laughs> because you know, we, we well you just made the it. point for the last 10 minutes yeah. so I will yeah, well, give you, you an can, answer you certainly respond yeah, I'm not um, trying to the answer is I think most people are crystal clear that uh, the, as soon as the call for, uh, as soon as the consultation finished we were going to issue the call for sites that members shouldn't be aware of the call for yeah. sites uh, or the public shouldn't be aware of the call for sites uh, while they were being consulted upon um, and uh, that was documented it was in Mr Payne's letter um, it, it was felt uh, that that was the appropriate way of doing it we're not going to come to any decisions about where the sites are going to be until well the middle of next year at the earliest so there's no way that we could hold back the detail of the call for sites until then uh, nor should we um, and uh, so uh, this, this is ground that we've covered before you've raised it with me I've answered the question so I think we'll move on Councillor Barker um, yes, thank you. Only a very quick thing. Um, I have been asked by one of my parish councils whether I'm aware of the ownership of land. Will the forms that you're uploading indicate the ownership or the agent who is proposing bits of land? Yes, I think it gives the names. It's obviously taken off personal sort of contact details. Okay, thank contacted. you. Any other points on uh, Councillor Mills? Um, two issues. Um, one is I've been approached by some parishioners whereby land has been put forward that is not in or has been put forward even though the owners haven't even been requested. Um, are you aware of any of these cases? In other words, land has been put forward but by other developers or in groups, whereas it's been misrepresented, if you like. Um, I'm not aware of that because the form requires people to say whether they are the owner or not and if they're not to give the details of the owner. Okay. So we, as far as we're concerned, that they're all done with the owner's consent. Okay. And secondly, um, could you just clarify exactly what you said in the middle of your statement, whereby you said you'd moved from a numerical way of assessing to a, um, if you like, a, a grouping of wording? Um, can, you, can you just explain exactly how you're going to do that? Because to me, it's a woolly sort of statement. Um, the, the initial methodology um, looked at things like how close a site was to say, I don't just take a, a, a nature reserve for instance or an ecological site and if it was um, within uh, X number of metres it scored a, a, a negative score and if it was further away it scored a, a positive score implying that the further away it had, would have less impact. But the comments that we got back on this and other issues is it doesn't always work like that. A development may actually have quite a big impact over quite a wide distance. And just because something's a long way away doesn't mean that the impact's going to reduce. 
on, on the, the various sort of issues. So it was felt that it was better to sort of say the site is X metres away from or between, you know, 10, 10, to 10 to 50, 50 to 100 metres away from, do it in stages. And rather than making a, make a judgment that we probably wouldn't have enough information to make as to what the impact of the development would be on an asset, historic, ecological, whatever. Um, so it's better to have that, have the sort of the facts sort of said in textual form, that's what I was saying, um, so that when officers, members look at sites to decide which sites to allocate, they've got all that information there to make judgments against different sites. That, that's the reasoning. Mr Fox. Yeah, sorry, just, just to add on from that, if I may, Chairman. Yes, in my, I, I fully take your point, Councillor Mills, but in my own personal experience, having tried to operate the sort of objective numerical approach, that's equally very easy to get in, unpicked by developers at examination hearings as well. So, so it really is, you know, it is quite a difficult call to make, Chairman, about how, how you do weigh these things up, because you, you, both ways, you, in my experience, you get criticised. Because, obviously, it... it, it you'll be come out from both sides by those who don't want the development and those developers who want the development. So it's got to be a very pure process. Councillor Lodge, did you have your hand up? I did, I'm afraid, yes. Yeah, just, just to finish off that one there, uh, I, I understand the reasons you're giving for going to that more um, uh, less, less numerical approach, but, but the problem is it's going to make decision-making even more difficult, isn't it? I'm coming, coming on to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it still makes it even more bland. And, and is, it really, is it really going to work? Is it really going to be a good enough material for us to make the decisions on? I'll let Mr Fox go and then Councillor Barker. And, just, and then you've got another point. Yeah, we'll come back yeah, to you. Yeah, sorry, sorry, to cut, sorry to cut in, Chairman. But, but again, yes, in, 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 equally in my experience of, of examination hearings, is in, inspectors, believe it or not, do, um, and, and no disrespect to the members around the table here, they do take on board the views of the democratically elected members on these subjective issues very, very seriously indeed. There is only so far that you can go in the planning world with objective criteria and numerical approach. At the end of the day, there are judgments that need to be made, and that's what members around this table are elected for, and in my experience, inspectors do, do respect that, that judgment. Councillor Barker. Um, it was really, we've got 320 sites and then we've got some big ones in that 320 and we've asked Garden City Developments to have a look at those sites. So is there going to be a reasonably parallel, clear methodology used on big sites or are the criteria you're looking at both going to be the same? I know it's different if it's a thousand houses or ten houses, but it would look very strange to me, to an inspector, if those larger sites were being considered differently to the smaller sites. May I remind everybody that we've made no decision about uh, big or small sites at this stage, but Mr Taylor. Um, thanks, I've been nominated, apparently. Um, um, the SLA will deal with the large and small sites in exactly the same way, in terms of an assessment on them. Um, However, there is a difference in relation to the larger sites, and you, one could say the smaller sites as well, picking up exactly Councillor Roth's point. If one goes down a strategy of a new settlement, obviously the principle of these sites, you know, it, 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 change, it changes, doesn't it, between whether or not it changes the acceptability of the principle of, of those sites, depending on, on the strategy that, that is adopted. Um, there is a significant difference between 20 houses and 10,000 houses, you know, in terms of, in terms of a difference. So, 
to some extent, the assessment of the larger sites will need to be revisited depending on the strategy and the assessment in much more detail of the supporting statements and supporting justification. And that's where not just the work of garden city developments, but we've appointed um, viability consultants to look at the viability of some of these in terms of the time. So, so you collect all that information to then revisit, and I'm pretty sure Martin Payne said this isn't a, you know, this isn't a, a, a finish. You know, we will revisit the, the, the slash sites when we have the, um, the vision that Councillor Dean mentioned earlier and, and the, the distribution strategy to understand how these things fit together. So some of this will need to be updated you know, when, when, we've, when we've had those decisions. So the SLAR will come out with an assessment on every single submission. So it won't ignore large or small sites. Every single submission will have um, a template response which picks up um, uh, how many metres it is from an SSSI, watercourse flooding, and then you know, a, a paragraph or two of an assessment of the site. But the larger ones, by necessity, will need much more, much more detailed digging, if you like, over the next few weeks and months after that, that will then feed back into that assessment when we've completed that process. And your second point, Councillor Lodge. Thank you, yes. In fact, one, uh, it, it's, uh, it's two further points. One fairly simple, I hope. You mentioned about the assessment by the Garden City Developments Corporation. I wonder, I, we haven't seen the terms of engagement, or I've missed the terms of engagement. Could we possibly see those as a fairly simple request? Yes, thank you. The, the second one is a bit more philosophical, and that is we, uh, I, I was very impressed at the start of this process that um, the process was going to be led by this council. It was not going to be developer-led. Now then, um, events have sort of overtaken us to a degree, and, and Councillor Dean referred to that, and, and uh, I think of the... Um, particularly the Dunmore consultation meeting where uh, the population came back time and time again by saying you've made up your mind on these sites and they were, they were very difficult to dissuade. So it's really just um, uh, to throw this on the table. Is there anything else we can do, and I, I would like a discussion on this, to, to try and convince our, uh, our 80,000 or so people that this really is a process that we're leading and not one that uh, developers are still doing? Uh, I, uh, you go first then, Mr Taylor, if you fingers on the button. Um, thank you. Um, apart from repeating and repeating it, I think that you know, Councillor Dean has, has uh, commented about the issues and options consultation. And what I would say is that um, those sites are put together by Mr Payne, you know, looking at the, the methodology that he had in terms of um, the, the was it five, five um, methods of, of drawing those? And yes, they do relate to some sites that have been submitted, but they also relate to sites that haven't been submitted. Um, now, I would, I, I would say that actually it's fairly obvious that there is going to be a correlation because the, you know, the development industry is not stupid. They're also looking at sites that are logical and sensible to develop, and therefore they've also secured them with options and want to put them forward for development because, well, that's their job. So if they're not doing their job properly, they were, you know, or if they, if they weren't doing their job properly, they would come up with something completely different to us or one of us has got it completely wrong. So I'd expect there to be a good correlation between, between those two. The point about um, carrying out an issues and options consultation and, and without, you know, without um, knowledge 
Um, and you know, officers didn't draw it up with knowledge. I mean, apart from a history of what's been put forward before, we, um, we hadn't gone through all the sites. They hadn't been loaded onto the map layer, and the map layer was completed, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago before they actually went live. So it wasn't there in terms of a template. The so the idea was to say, well, actually, yes, there are areas we need to make a search of and we need to flush out to see whether there's any development coming forward. We have to remember that one of the tests that we will be judged on is the deliverability of sites. And that's what we will come on to next year. It's all very well as saying there's this fantastic site we've come up, come up with. Absolutely perfect. And we're going to allocate it. And the landowner is not interested at all. And therefore, it won't go through the examination because it's not deliverable. There is no um, deliverability of that site for whatever reason. So you have to merge these two things about our aspirations for um, a strategy, our aspirations for specific sites or otherwise, and what we want out of those sites, to actual deliverability, owner's intention, the viability, the, the access, all those normal things. But at some stage, we have to... There's the crunch of reality, if you like, in terms of, yes, these sites are available, and they match our strategy, and therefore we're going to follow that path. But hopefully members of the public will see the exercise that we're going to go through that uh, Mr Fox was describing over the first few months of next year of different pieces of evidence coming forward. And once you lay all the different pieces of evidence over each other, you know, the strategic flood risk assessment that will be coming in, the, the Greenbelt review that will be coming in, and, and you start saying, well, actually, we can't do that site for X, Y, Z reason, or well, these sites are left out. It's actually an objective approach. We will get to a situation, I'm sure, where there are you know, 100 sites left or 200 sites left out of 370 that are all deliverable in... You know, in generality, and, and that's when a decision will need to be made about yes, we want that site, no, we don't want that site. We, this follows our strategy, this doesn't, and that's that's when the objectivity leads the, to some extent leaves the process, and there is a political decision. These are all acceptable at one level or another, and then it's the weighting we put on them. But the process we get to that is purely based on the the, the evidence, the consultation your interpretation of that, you know, the strategy, we may get to a situation where there's a whole range of different strategies that we could adopt, new settlement, disperse, mixture of the two, for example, and they might e all equally be good, and there will be a political, with a small p, judgment about what is best. And, and that's, you know, that's us, you, coming to a, a decision. It's not, they won't... The evidence won't just point to that is the only answer you can do. I'm sure the, the evidence will say there are a number of different options that you can do and you've now got to make that difficult decision. But I, that difficult decision hasn't yet been made or reached and we're not asking you to do that and it hasn't been made. So, But how you convince members of the public, apart from saying that and apart from very usefully different political parties saying that at, at the meetings is... Uh, this, this, this is just the problem. It, the, the parallel is justice being done and justice being seen to be done. I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of the process from when Martin came on board and, and, and got it going um, and I'm having to defend that um, and that's this, this was a sort of general discussion. How do, how, do, how do we make the case? How do we show the case to the public? Because I think we're failing at the moment. Sadly. Well, I'm not that we're not doing it, but we are. I'm surprised you say that because um, the very objective is, is to, well, yeah, sure, there'll always be individuals, but um, 
the very process is to be as transparent and open uh, with as much engagement with the public as possible. Um, and it's certainly beholden on this group to absolutely have no prejudice in any direction at all. And if you have a prejudice, then I suggest you ask to leave the group and get somebody to come in in your place. It doesn't help, Councillor Lodge, that your group have got a predisposed position and are publicly going around to say that. So it's things like that, actually, that disturb the exercise. Sorry, we don't. Uh, we, 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 uh, my colleague and I are coming here with an open mind. And we are, and we I, are wasn't talking, I wasn't talking that. about you and your colleague, uh, and you've always but, displayed... But unlike other parties, we don't tell our members what to do and what to say, so that's but, why but you might you hear other things. But you raised the point... I object to that, because we don't. But, but you raised the point... That doesn't fit, that doesn't fit. That's wrong. I think you should withdraw that comment. This is not the forum for you to be I was only responding to what Councillor Rolf has just said. I'm a great supporter of this process and I'm going through it with absolute precision and putting an enormous amount of effort to do that and, and I think those comments by the Chairman were wrong. We will Sorry, move could on. Could you withdraw but your comment about what you said about other parties because that's untrue and I think that should be, as we're on record, we are being recorded, I think you should withdraw that. Because I don't think the Liberal If the cap doesn't fit, don't wear it. We'll, let's, we'll, we'll, move, we'll move on. We take your point, Councillor Lachlan. Okay. But the point I was trying to make is that this group in particular, and I hope every councillor, has got to keep a totally and absolutely open mind and to encourage any people that they work with uh, to do exactly the same thing. Because uh, at no point can we be seen in any sense to be prejudiced one way or the other. I agree with uh, Mr Taylor's analysis it would be wonderful if the evidence pointed exclusively to one solution. I doubt that it will. There will be a number of options at the end. The evidence will take you to a number of options and we will have to make, in the end, uh, a, a subjective opinion because the objectivity will, will show uh, a number of different scenarios. We'll go as far as we possibly can with objectivity and evidence base uh, and obviously, you know, together we will do that to... to, to so that everybody can see the evidence and the objectivity. And, you know, maybe with a bit of luck there might be a clear answer, but uh, it, it, we will have to face uh, the challenge of making a decision. Uh, Councillor Dean. I'd like to pick up the philosophical, as uh, Councillor Lodge uh, described it. Uh, it may well be that, um, or I'm going to suggest it, that, that come the new year, which is not far off, that we do revisit um, our the way we engage with the public, um, because it, it does come down to communication. There are a lot of complex concepts, and we, I think we've agreed. Transparency isn't, I suppose, goes beyond um, saying things in a meeting like this. And, and when we had the planning advisory service in, in September, you know, they were saying it's all about telling people and telling them again and telling them again, because first time round, people might not. Uh, understand what we're saying, but second time they, they start to they, they begin to begin to take it on board. Um, and and I was going to raise this uh, tomorrow evening, Councillor Rolf, and I will anyway because it's appropriate to the full council meeting. But um, the the council did used to have until. April, it used to have, I think we called them area forums, which were scrapped. And we, in June, we set up a, 
um, a task group to re-evaluate public en uh, community engagement, how the, the council engages with the public and how the public can engage with the council. Now, it's now December and that hasn't, that hasn't met. It was due to meet in September when I was in Peru and that meeting was, I understand, cancelled and, and nothing, nothing's been done about that since, to my knowledge. So I raise that now. I don't expect an instant answer, and I will raise it again tomorrow evening at the council meeting, so maybe in the meantime you, Chairman, uh, can find out what's going on. But we, we do, as a council, need to revisit how we engage with the public. We said we will do, so we ought to get on and do it, and it might then overcome some of these misconceptions that, that I was talking about earlier, about people thinking that the, you know, the recent exercise seemed a bit odd to them. <coughs> Well, first of all, the area forum, I, I am dealing with that situation. Um, I, we shouldn't hold area forums up as the solution. The reason that we, we disbanded them was we only got half a dozen people turning up to them. So that wasn't a great forum of communication. But I totally and absolutely agree that we need to communicate properly with the, uh, you know, the residents at large and to continue to get the message across. We've only literally just finished a consultation. Um, and uh, in the early part of uh, it, next year, there'll be f f further consultation. But in the meantime... Uh, to keep getting the message across, uh, we will look at other ways of doing that. I'll ask Mr. Fox, and then if there's no other points, we'll move on. Yep. So, sorry, Chairman, only, only briefly, there will be a paper coming to the next meeting of this group on a revised and revamped statement of community involvement, which is the, the publicised way that the Council goes about these, these exercises. Mm. That, that will be going through this group and then move, moving on to Cabinet. Mm. So there will be an opportunity there, if you like, for scrutiny of, of how we go about these exercises and how we could, we could improve them in, in future, Chairman. That's really helpful. Thank you. Councillor Barker, then we really yeah, will move just on. Just to finish, Chairman, I mean, we are coming on to the next item, which tells us how many people people responded to this consultation. But we have recently held another consultation on local council tax support, and we used methodologies in that consultation that resulted in a far greater number of people responding to the consultation than have responded to this. And I think we may look at some of that if we wish to move forwards. Okay. Um, the recommendation is that members note the maps of the sites submitted under, under the call for sites have been published on the Council website and that an assessment of the sites will be published early 2016. So purely factual uh, recommendation. Those in favour? Carried unanimously. Thank you. Item 16, Ms Hayden, who isn't here, so I don't know who's presenting this one. Mr Fox. Uh, this is on local plan issues and options, a consultation update. We have a speaker, um, Mr Colborne, uh, who we will welcome in just a moment. The, the, what we normally do, Mr Colborne, is let the officer just lay the context, because it might be relevant to what you're going to say, and then uh, ask you to come to the mic. So let Mr Fox speak, and then please come and, um, and have your... Yes, time. Uh, yes, Chairman. There, there, there was also another question submitted by a resident who wasn't able to attend this evening, and I think uh, Maggie Cox has probably circ circulated that through to this group. Um, I don't know when would be an appropriate time to respond to that, Chairman, perhaps after the speaker, or would that, would that be the right time to do that? Because we haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Okay. No. Well, I can read it out. It's not that long. So, so perhaps after, I'll, I'll introduce the item, and then if we, we let the speaker speak, and then I'll, I'll pick up this other okay. issue, Chairman, if that's okay. Yeah, it's, it's a very brief factual report. Um, the clock, as it were, is still ticking. The consultation closed on the 4th of December. We're still um, processing the representations. You'll see at the time this report uh, was written, 
we received 2,355 comments from 286 consultees. Um, as of this morning, that figure had gone up to 3,978 comments made from 437 consultees and we are left to process 224 emails and 25 letters. So that, Chairman, gives you an idea of the scale of response that we have received. Um, what we will be doing is once, once we have processed them all, we will be summarising them and analysing them and coming back to, to a meeting of this group in the new year with, if you like, what the key issues are coming out of out of those 19 questions which people responded to and, and what our initial thinking is about them, Chairman. So, so that's all I'll say for the time being. Thank you. Okay, I take um, Councillor Parker's point that, 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 that there's not much of a response actually in the context of things. Maybe there'll be a huge response when we actually name the sites. But uh, I think in your, in your um, statement of intent in terms of consultation, you might want to think of the other vehicles we could use because we've got an outstanding response to local council tax. Yeah, uh, you're right, Chairman. And sorry, I was saying in the con I meant the, the extensive response in the context of other issues and options consultations that, that I've been involved with, Chairman. That's all I'd say. Right, thank you. Mr. Colborne, you have, I think, three minutes? Three minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as a belated reserve option for any green belt challenge on the proposals that we put forward by various residents, etc., I would like to propose not only a new bypass relief road to the M11, but also a new community de development to be built on the existing site of the vast area of abandoned airfield at Debden. When you cast your eye over the area map of the sickle, as I call it, owing to its curvature towards the M11, this would link both the new development and South Sutton Warden. Added to the myriad of planning problems, government's ruling will only improve new roads if 1,000 homes are built for every one mile of new road construction. In this proposal, my approximate four miles of the sickle would equate to 4,000 new houses. To relieve frequent congestion in Sutton Warden, I believe a compromise with the government has to be negotiated. I feel if you or the planning committee agree to the new development and bypass, the government may well agree to the sale of the airfield. However, this would be subject to a survey of the area up to 4,000 possible dwellings. Benefits of the new community. If the government MOD agrees to the sale of Dedan Airfield, the monies would help towards construction of the sickle. I suggest that the new development would comprise of mostly compact dwellings for first-time buyers by to let, and in honour of the combatants of the Second World War, the estate could be called Remembrance. This new housing development would be far enough away from Southern Warden as to not affect the otherwise towns over construction, but would benefit from extra commerce from the new residents visiting. Another improvement would be a more direct link with the Carver Barracks and, from, and to, to and from the sickle, avoiding the narrow country roads. If approval is eventually given by the government MOD for the sale of Debenham Airfield, then would a vote by others of residents at the next local election may be debated. Thank you all for your attention. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Um, the second point. 
Yes, thank you, Chairman. The, this is a, a question from uh, Mr. Nicholas Bohenko Smith, uh, who can't be here this evening. Uh, he raises two questions. I'm um, sorry in relation to Section 4.1 of the Issues and Options paper, and I'm sure you all know that this is about the scenarios about how development can be dispersed. The first question is, why wasn't an option put forward for distribution across all hierarchies and no new settlement, um, if that makes sense, because... Um, yeah, there's, um, in, in the first set of options, that there isn't that option put forward. I think the response to that is that the preamble to paragraph 4.1, and you probably haven't got the issues and options paper in front of you, but it does actually make it clear that the scenarios are not the only possible combination uh, of options from among the areas of search. And actually, in fact, the second set of scenario with the higher growth rates does include an option which distributes development across all hierarchies with no new settlement. So I think this gentleman's concern is that there's, there's, there's always a new settlement in there. Um, and there was a report uh, which went to this group in July, uh, again setting out how we were going to about, go about the issues and options consultation, which again made it clear that these scenarios weren't necessarily set in stone. It wasn't a question of picking one or the other. There could be further combinations. So I think that's my response to the first question. Um, the second, and I've got this written down, Maggie, for the benefit of the minutes. So. <laughs> um, in, in question two, in scenario D, uh, many residents commenting and sorry, again, scenario, scenario D is the hybrid of um, uh, settlements uh, around the edge of Bishop's Dortford, Great Dunmo, Saffron Walden, um, key villages and a new settlement. So it's that, it's that option. Many residents commenting would have thought that a new settlement of 500 units is too small to provide a contribution of critical resources to the district, apart from supporting housing numbers. As such, could I ask the Council to reassure Uttlesford residents that if Scenario D was selected, the purpose of the new settlement is not to be the site of a much larger development to be developed at a later stage. Were this to be the case, there is a significant risk that the small site would be developed without any of the appropriate planning for a much larger settlement, something I believe that has happened in the past. However, more importantly, Uttlesford residents may perceive this as a significant breach in UDC's ethos regarding transparency. And I think the response to that, Chairman, is that the Issues and Options paper is very clear and explicit in that 500 dwellings are proposed in the plan period, then more after 2033. It's, it's absolutely clear about that, that it is a first stage. So mm. uh, there's also a reference in that earlier July report as well along similar lines. So, so that would be my response. So, sorry, the, the Speaker isn't here, Chairman, but that would have been my response okay. to those points, right. and I can pass those on for the minutes. And and I'll ask Mr. Taylor to comment on Mr. Goldman's uh, <coughs> suggestion. Right. Thank Th you. Thank you, Chairman. I mean, obviously, um, one hopes that that's been submitted as part of the issues and options consultation because there were questions asking for, for other options. And if it has, then it will be picked up as part of um, the, the report of representations that Mr. Fox um, made, uh, mentioned a few moments ago. And then obviously all the suggestions or the answers to the questions that we receive, any suggestions for other sites we should be looking at will be brought forward to this working group um, at the early part of next year. So that will be picked up at, um, at that stage, Jim. Right. Thank you. Any other points on um, item six? If not, we're just noting the report. 
um, because we've had a, an initial response in terms of uh, the consultation and we'll obviously get a lot more in the new year. So noting the update, can I see a show of hands on that? Thank you, carried unanimously. Uh, moving on to item 7, evidence-based review and work programme. Mr Fox. Yes, uh, Chairman, this is again a snapshot of where we are with all the various work streams which will give us the evidence uh, to get to the preferred options in a new plan. Uh, I think the report is self-explanatory. The only further comment I would add in relation to the employment land review is that there is an inception meeting uh, which will be taking place early in the new year. Uh, but other than that, happy to take any questions, Chairman. And obviously, as far as the Greenbelt review uh, is concerned, we had a, a full debate about that earlier on this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Any comments, questions on the officer update? Councillor Barker. Just a comment, Chairman, on the countryside protection zone. I mean, as you're aware, this is an area around Stasted Airport. Um, are we going to take into account the changed flight paths and the, um, the fact that with their new tracking systems, the aeroplanes are now going to be flying on a much tighter line and so affecting areas of countryside outside the airport, current boundaries? Um, no. Um, the countryside protection zone is not designated um, at all to do with flights or anything else. It's to do with the um, ensuring a boundary in relation to the airport and, and, and growth and ensuring that, I think the phrase is, the airport in the countryside. So what we haven't done for many years, um, in fact ever since it was a, a, put there, is reviewed its veracity or otherwise of, of the boundaries. So just as we are doing a Greenbelt review looking at the boundaries and whether or not they, they, are, they are suitable, we need to carry out a review of the countryside protection zone to see whether or not the boundaries that are there are still suitable inner and outer boundaries. They are there to um, stop the spread well, the original purpose was to stop the spread of the airport further into the countryside and to stop the, the settlements coalescing, you know, Stansted to the north, um, Takeley down to the, to the south. Um, so that's the purpose. So it's being reviewed. Um, there's a draft methodology that the consultants are commenting on before it's a final methodology and we ask for sort of quotes. But it won't pick up the changes um, over Hatfield, Heath, Broadoak area in terms of the, the routes because it, that's, not the, that's not its land use purpose. If that helps, but it, it's to ensure we have a, you know, any land use designation we have has got a robust evidence base behind it, and there isn't one currently, so we need to um, move forward to ensure there is one. Any other, Councillor Lodge? Thank you. I noticed that um, it says on the transport review, an inception meeting is being held to agree the parameters of the study. I wonder if we could be. Uh, updated on that please as to where we are as that seems to be changing and similarly with the employment land review yeah we're quite quite happy to um, we, we had a we had a good meeting with the transport consultants where we went over the ground that the study will cover quite happy to come back to this group with with those terms of reference chairman I, I think sorry I think the reference the the uh, brief came to the last meeting. We're not looking at changing the brief. I think this is talking about um, they need to start off with what's the baseline, what's, the, what's approved, what do you need to take into account. So it's ensuring that, I think it's called the uncertainty log, but it's a, it's a certainty uncertainty log, if you see what I mean. So it's what, what is certain to happen over the next few years, and then what's uncertain, what, what, are, what are potential options. So the meet the parameters 
aren't the, sc the scale of the study because that's been set by the brief. It's more well, what's been approved in different areas, what do we need to know about as a, as a bench line for starting the study before we move forward. Um, that is being agreed and as soon as that will, that will form part of the study when it report or part of the early stage of the study when it reports back so yes it will come back to us but it's not changing the brief itself it's it's the start of the work to move forward with the consultants yeah as it's so important can we see it at the next meeting then please, the progress on that and the uh, uh, la uh the employment land review as well that will be useful i think yeah we can we we yeah. can provide an update on that. I mean, i'm not sure the employment land review will have got if i think mr fox Yep, so, sorry, just coming back on the transport, um, transport study, Chairman. So, sorry to cut, cut you off, Andrew. Um, yes, there the will be minutes coming out of the meetings that we have with them as well. So we'll hopefully be able to circulate those so you'll actually see what's been going on at the meetings as well, Chairman, and the transport study. Thank yeah. you. I'm obviously short of reading material, so I need <laughs> some more. I, um, I think when we come... Because one of the key things that has come out of this meeting is this desire um, for a flowgram with dates as well, where possible. But we understand some of those are flexible. And I think yeah, it's going to be quite a difficult document to produce this because it all interlocks. But I think what this group is saying is that everything is dependent on everything. And therefore, you can't make a decision until you've got all the pieces. Yeah, sure. But it's not just waiting till the end to get all the pieces in place. It's understanding the progress along the way. So on both, you know, we, we're crystal clear about what the employment and the transport reviews are doing, because that's what we spent time at the last meeting uh, reviewing in terms of their terms of reference. So we, and, and please don't send us minutes of meetings, because that's, uh, with respect, as I totally agree with Councillor Lodge on that point. We've got enough reading to do without looking at But we need to understand as we go through, because, for example, we had to wait an inordinate amount of time the last time because we got blocked on Junction 8 of the M11. Now, we need to be looking ahead. We need to be um, horizon scanning in terms of what could be a blockage to the process and building that in as well. So it's going to be quite a complex piece, this um, flowgram, but I think it's pretty fundamental um, and um, it means different things to different people around the table, but, uh, but I think you understand what we're looking for. Well, a flowgram. Well, call it what you like, but I think we know we know what we want. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chairman, and it's one of these things that's almost sort of four-dimensional, if I can use that. There's, it is. There's the, there's, the, it the, is. The, there's the process of putting the plan together, there's the evidence bases and how they all interlink, Yeah. and, it, and it's just trying to capture all of that in a, in a, in a fairly simple way, and I yeah. think you know, it's one of the things that less is, less is more. There's a lot of complexity behind the scenes, but the output I'd like to try and get is something that's really simple and you know, readily understandable by, by, by every, everybody yeah. out there. Uh, Councillor Dean wanted to come in, I think. I've had an interactive map on my screen today, so I'm sure I can cope with a four-dimensional flowgram, provided you give me a bigger screen. Uh, um, I want to refer to page 113, um, paragraphs uh, 19 and 20. So I'm a bit puzzled. First of all, I'm a bit puzzled by the context of these statements, but because before paragraph 17, it says recommendations, uh, which usually sound like things you're, you're signing up to. And then you go on to paragraph 19, and it's, it talks about it's recommended that the council continues with the policy of outlined in the draft local plan, 
uh, you mean the defunct local plan, uh, with regard to the restrictions upon non-aviation use at Stansted Airport land, uh, and then that this, sorry, that is the north side commercial area should, be re should have the restrictions relaxed to enable the wider range of regional operators to locate close to the airport, but the restrictions remain in place elsewhere on the airport. I mean, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a matter there that needs to be discussed. I'm not going to sign up to that tonight if that's what, was, if that's what the, the, this is. I mean, I'll finish because there's, a, there's another one. Uh, so I think, you know, I, think it, I mean, there, there's two things. One is that there's, um, you know, there's a question of that long-standing policy and whether it still is appropriate. And I know at one time we relaxed it con uh, temporarily. And there's a, there is another issue about monopoly um, uh, and uh, <laughs> monopoly in terms of giving the airport monopoly over um, business growth in the Stansted area. So I think, I think there are a number of issues around that that we, we need to at least address. And the same applies to the next paragraph. It is not recommended that further dedicated research space be developed outside the Chesterford Research Park. Well, why would we be wanting to give them a monopoly, a monopoly over research parks in the district if somebody else comes along and says that we want to do something uh, somewhere else? So I think there are... Uh, I don't want to be signing up to either of those tonight, but I think they need, both need further thought. That's where I'm coming from. Chair? Thank Sorry. you. Yeah, my, yeah. Those are my issues. Because the, the recommendation is to note your update, but I'll yeah. speak in a moment on those two points. Yeah, that is, uh, yes, Chair, Chairman, it's probably unfortunate that the word recommendations is in there twice, but that's the recommendations from the workspace study itself. So that's what they're coming back to us. It's obviously for, for members around this table and the Council to decide whether those recommendations from this study are in fact incorporated into the local plan. So it may well be that for various reasons, that, that we disagree with those, but those are the recommendations coming out of the study, Chairman. So, at what point are we going to disagree with them then? Or well, otherwise, th there is tonight th or no? No, no so that, and sorry, that, you're absolutely right to make that point. That, that that is the second point that they're not for decision this evening. It's simply to note where we are with these various evidence-based studies, and in fact, the, the employment land review. Uh, that we're embarking on may well have something to say about the recommendations in this, you know, in the report that you've just referred to, Councillor Dean. That, that might disagree with, with these points here that uh, you've just uh, raised. Because, did you want to come in, Councillor Perry? No. Um, I mean, I, 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 I never, n never make assumptions. Um, I assumed that we had had discussions about the north side of Stansted where there is a business park and the desire to develop that. It certainly came up at, it's come up at previous meetings. But you raise a very important point because if we are taking something beyond previous council policy, we'll need to get the governance of that right? Yes, well, but when we're reviewing the local plan, we're reviewing all the policies in there. Forget the local plan uh, because this, this work is, 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 is happening uh, in any case, uh, never mind the local plan, because there are already plans being drawn up for the north side of uh, Stansted Airport. Yes, but in, ter in terms of governance, um, 
this is, you know, it's an adopted council policy, the current local plan, we're reviewing that so we can change it, you know, mm. it's up for change. So what the draft local plan did was, was change the allocation, so it um, allocated 18 hectares of land at the north side, as you know, for employment um, to provide a, a large area of employment land that the district was needing um, while protecting the area, you know, the rest of the airport boundary. Um, yes, we will need to make a decision in the future, not now, whether or not we wish to continue to do that. And it's exactly the same with um, Chesterford Research Park, um, Elsenham Meadows, or whatever, you know, Gaunt's End, Elsenham Meadows, all sorts of the employment allocations. Are we going to, uh, we've obviously got to keep them where they are, but it's whether we're going to, are we going to expand them on that site or are we going to contract? I think this report is coming very much from a what do the operators need or what, what does the market need? Um, this was for small business space. The employment land view that Mr. Fox mentioned will go from, will be much broader. Um, but it's when we come into the allocations for employment, when we come into the allocations um, for, for different business uses that we'll be making those decisions. And we may well disagree or agree with the, with the advice we've got, we've got here. Um, if operators are going to come forward with planning applications through that system, that, that's completely separate and that will need to be judged on its own merits at that time. Um, but in the local plan process, this is a part of the evidence base, this is a recommendation from the consultants. Um, you know, the evidence base is what it is, isn't it? You know, and then we need to make you, we need, we make a recommendation. You will need to make a decision um, as to what you want to do going forward. The caveat is, if we don't put 18 hectares there, we'll be needing to find 18 hectares of, of field to put the employment somewhere else. Um, so, you know, it's, that's the balance, isn't it? It just doesn't disappear if we, we don't have it in one place. Any other queries on that? Okay, we're noting the officer update. We're not making any decisions. Happy to note. <laughs> uh, we will be. I've been reminded we're not actually a decision-making body. We're only a recommending body. So the full council will need to make the decisions. Um, but I, just leaving uh, before we move on to item 8, um, I, I think this group would want to be reassured that there was enough employment land of all type in the next local plan because we're very aware of businesses that grow and then outgrow Uttlesford. Now in some cases that might be inevitable but in other cases we should be conscious of what we want to do in Uttlesford and have provision for that. Um, but uh, all of that will come back to this group and full council. Okay finally item 8, um, duty to cooperate Mr Taylor. Thank you, Sorry, did we get a show of hands on that last one? Can I have a show of hands? Okay, it was noted. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. This next report is for noting. Um, it's the uh, regular update on duty to cooperate. Um, so we're trying to be much more uh, regular. I think Councillor Parry raised that last time, but much more regular in terms of reporting. I, I don't want to go through it line by line, but it, it's, uh, it's a report from, from the, the co-op group, LSCC, uh, meetings with Braintree, meetings with South Cambridgeshire, two quite important meetings with, with the appendices there. We had a meeting um, with uh, Braintree, um, uh, sorry, with, with both in relation to councillors, but the, the, the minutes are still being finalised in relation to, to that. You also asked for um, future dates, um, so set out in paragraph 15 are the future dates that are uh, agreed. Um, 
the co-op board and the officer group um, that we've mentioned with, with Epping, Harlow, East Hearts um, and, and a wider group and the LSCC. Um, obviously meetings with, with other councils, Essex, um, Braintree, South Camsar, there, there aren't fixed uh, meeting dates, but obviously, as, as the plan prog plans progress, different plans progress, we will need to um, continue those those that, uh, that dialogue. But happy to take questions, Jim. Councillor Dean, and then Councillor Barker. What what I'd like to see on this, Mr. Chairman, is some sort of um, traffic light system. In other words, we identify what the things are that we think are good for Uttlesford and where there is information buried in all this documentation which I've, takes a long time to wade your way through to find out what might be relevant you know that we, we, we have a issue one is green because they've agreed with us uh, whatever it is and uh, there's, a, there's a, an amber one which is uh, something coming up that might hit us if we don't improve our cooperation uh, see where I'm coming from uh, because I mean, I come at this simply because there's too much information here and it's very tedious going through all these boring minutes of meetings, as it is for you as well, but you've got more time, <laughs> in theory. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, so our officers who know what is relevant to us can draw those things out in some way that puts, categorizes them. As, I think it will help the understanding and, and, and tracking of, of things that, uh, you know, like Junction 7A and what impact it's going to have on this district, if any, da-da-da. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly reasonable request. Um, not in addition to, maybe instead of. Um, I, I, we have to be very careful, obviously, because if, they, if the relevant district hasn't put something in the public domain, then we certainly shouldn't. But... Um, as decisions are made um, in those authorities or as uh, discussions are had that are public, um, then absolutely, because it could well impact on our district and, and our decision-making process, and we should be aware of that. So, And, and similarly, you, you, you know, there should be a big red, into, if it's a RAG rating, a big red against the duty to cooperate with Epping and all their green belt and, you know, We'll be reassured when that goes to Amber. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that's a fair point, actually, that. And it may help to ease the report as well. I, th I think, Chairman, if, if I can explain, what, what we will have to do uh, as we get up towards the examination hearings is we need to have, if you it's sort of a rag. It, it's, it's an output or outcome audit trail to put before the inspector. So what we have to do is to say on the... the, the the big issues that you just referred to, Councillor Dean, is that yes, we've talked, we, we've talked with our neighbours about transport, and the outcome was yes, we all agree that this this junction needs improved. So that's that's agreeing, Inspector. So we all agree. Something else, it might be. Um, I, sh I shouldn't use Epping as an example, but Epping might want to. Um, get us to meet a lot of their unmet housing need. I'm not saying they will, but they might do. And we might disagree on that, and we have to record that, and we have to explain why we've disagreed, uh, and that outcome you know, is amber. So, so we have to, if I'm making sense, Chairman, we have to go through that exercise anyway um, to convince the inspector that we've met the, met the duty to cooperate. Um, how one translate that, translates that into a RAG rating, though, uh, on the large issues is a bit trickier for me, uh, I'm afraid. Um, and I'm looking at Mr Taylor, um, see if he's got any ideas. 
Well, I was going to add that um, happy to update the document. You, you may or may not remember that uh, we have a duty to cooperate document which sits a long way back, um, which highlights the key issues within each authority, the key issues uh, we've highlighted, the you know, strategic issues that we need to be cooperating on. So it might be time to refresh that and bring that back to you. We're also planning to do for the next meeting um, an update of the risk assessment which is two different, two different things there. Mm. There's a risk assessment, of the, which mm. is not quite your Venn diagram that we were talking about earlier, but it's a, what, are the, what are the critical risks to the delivery of the local plan. Now, none of these are... And, and we can't not do this document, Chairman, because this is an important document which demonstrates and records what we do in terms of publishing them. But I, I do take the point we need to be highlighting the, the key issues... And what we tried to do, and yes, there's lots of reading, is put them in the minutes. So if we've got an agreed set of minutes between the different parties that say, um, I can't use that example because I don't think it's agreed yet, but if it says something, the, the two parties have agreed X, Y, Z, then it's clear within the minutes of the meetings that that has been um, agreed, which is there, you know, come back to Mr Fox, it is the outcome of that meeting. Um, moving forward. But, so I think there'll be a mix of documents, a, a risk register, the, the duty to cooperate with some details on which help to explain it in more detail. But can I add a caveat? Um, which is as part of the risk assessment, we'll, it also picks up resources. And I now have a very long list of notes from the last um, couple of hours of things to do for the next meeting, which means we won't be able to do progressing the local plan. So we've just got to be aware of the reports that are, you feel are necessary actually mean that we're not actually progressing with delivery of the local plan, if you, if you follow that logic. Mm. So we, we have to be aware that we are working to an incredibly tight timescale mm. to meet the government's deadline of 2017. And we completely agree that we need to be following the processes correctly to ensure that we have all the reports and we have the necessary evidence to justify the decisions that have been made. And that's perfectly understood. But there's also a balance between um, you receiving everything at every meeting that you would like to have as opposed to the things that are necessary for you to make the decisions and it's just um, it's a cautionary note um, because the team is only four people um, and they are already stretched doing what they are doing, let alone the additional things that have been requested tonight. So it's just a cautionary note in relation to that. There are two options in there. One, you know, clearly we've got to do this properly, so if we need more resource, then, then we should find it. Secondly, um, the, the, the reports are um, always very helpful, very comprehensive. You, you can decide whether they are over-comprehensive. Um, but if I could um, summarise what we've asked for tonight, I think that... Pardon? Could I just make a comment on that report? Yep. Yeah. Sorry, just on the duty to cooperate report, we've got an issue about the Essex and South Ways local plan um, they, the, the draft consultation, the final one, is now there. It's still confidential at the moment. That will be going public shortly with the preferred sites. Um, the second thing is that we have had, since these papers were printed, a further duty to cooperate meeting um, on the 4th of December. And the third thing, if members have a look through these minutes, they'll notice that 
In Broxbourne, the authority there is not going for its fully objectively assessed housing need. Um, that they are going for 6,000 rather than 7,000. Without, uh, well, not, I haven't read their planning detail, but it's an interesting way forward because whether the inspector will accept that or not, um, we shall wait to see. Thank you, Chairman. Um, so, what came out of tonight was that. I think this whole question of the flow ground, without repeating ourselves, I sense there's going to be quite a big piece of work, but I think it's absolutely fundamental. Um, we've asked for the Shemar meeting, which that's part of the next, so uh, I, I think that's no problem. We've asked for um, greater forms of communication, and you're going to be bringing your paper to the next meeting, So, uh, but in the meantime, we can talk about how we might do that. I take absolutely the point that we've got to stay engaged at all times. And I, I think Councillor Dean's last point about um, just highlighting, what I, there, there, there might be, um, you know, it's the wood and the trees. It, we need just to bring out the key points, um, and we'll try and collectively be as restrained as we can in terms of what we ask for. So we, we want to have a clear picture. We want the evidence to shine through. We want transparency to shine through. We don't necessarily need a lot of background material because, um, you know, taking your point, uh, we need points that help to answer the, the, the question. If you want to make a comment, otherwise I'll try and conclude the meeting. Yeah, and I will be brief, Chairman, and I welcome those remarks. Thank you very much. And uh, I think two, two points I would make is, one, some of these work streams we have to do anyway for the evidence base, um, the, sustain, the, the statement of community involvement. Um, the, that, that flowgram will inform the local development scheme, which we've got to do anyway. It's a, it's, it's a statutory requirement. So, so some, of the, some of those work streams we've got to be doing anyway, so that's, that's fine. So you're, you're pushing it an open door to a certain extent, and we're very happy to be open and transparent about that. The other point I would make, Chairman, is um, we are obviously in the office. If anyone, any member of this group wants to pop in and see us, pick up the phone, talk to myself or my colleagues about you know, any of their particular issues, then obviously we're more than happy to do that on an informal basis. Chairman, without taking it through any sort of formal committee process. That's the, that's the other point I would make. Okay. Councillor Lodge? Just one, one other issue on, on your uh, flowgram, and it's, it's uh, one area which I think I felt for a while we may be missing, and it comes out of the MPPF, which says that where practical, the community infrastructure and levy charge should be worked up as part of the local plan. Now, we seem to have studiously ignored that, and it concerns me. Um, Chairman, we, we haven't. Um, community infrastructure plan, uh, community levy sort of comes later. What we have to do is develop the plan and identify the infrastructure that is necessary, and therefore we create the infrastructure delivery plan that is necessary to deliver the, the local plan. So the IDP, the infrastructure delivery plan, is something that's certainly on our radar. And then what we have to um, look at is the best way of achieving that, whether that's the community infrastructure levy which the government is currently reviewing, um, or whether that's through Section 106. We will certainly need to do that. We need to go through that process. We need to take external advice about which is the most appropriate to do, whether that's SIL or whether that's Section 106. Um, but we can't identify the infrastructure that's necessary until we've identified what plan we want to deliver. So it's, you know, it's that chicken before the egg thing again. We're certainly not forgetting it. It's an incredibly important part of the process. Okay, item 8. Um, everybody happy to note the, the report? 
Carried unanimously. Thank you very much. That is the last item on the agenda, so thank you very much indeed. I wish you all a very happy Christmas for the Planning Policy Working Group, but we are back with Council tomorrow. I wish you a happy Christmas then as well. Um, relax, have a good Christmas, because 2016 it will all start to get quite complicated and tough. So have a good break, and thanks to the Member of the Public and uh, to the Speaker. Thank you very much.